You're listening to the Assembly Call IU Podcast and Post Game Show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Activate your free Assembly Call membership today at assemblycall.com slash join. That's assemblycall.com slash join. That is how you're a champion. It really is. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another disappointed episode of the Assembly Call. As tonight, your Indiana Hoosiers fall to the Nebraska Cornhuskers 87-83 to at home in Simon Scott Assembly Hall in the Big Ten opener. Uh, in a game that broke the, was it, 25-26 game winning streak that Indiana had at home. Uh, This is a game that Indiana did not come out and play well from the beginning. They had a few spurts of good play uh, at the end of the first half, at the very beginning of the second half, and as they battled back in the second half, but just too many self-inflicted errors. And if you entered tonight and said, what's the absolute worst-case scenario that could happen tonight? You would say, a home loss to Nebraska in the Big Ten opener and maybe losing one of our best players to injury, uh, which may have happened with Jawan Morgan and the shoulder injury. We don't know. We don't have any updates. Obviously, he was back on the bench there at the end of the game. Well, if we get anything on Twitter, we will let you know. But my goodness, do we have uh, just some some really bad basketball to break down tonight, and we will because that's what we do, win or lose. I am your host, Jared Morris. Uh, I am joined tonight by Andy Bottoms. Ryan is not here, although I know he is dying to be here to rant uh, after what he saw tonight. So we will uh, we will certainly carry the mantle for Ryan and do plenty of ranting tonight um, because this was just a bad performance all around. But as always, and it's really challenging in games like this, but we always want to start the show off with some kind of positive. That is our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Uh, there's not a lot to choose from tonight. Uh, I actually thought there was a great sequence from Thomas Bryant in the second half when Indiana was down 65 to 58 and ended up being tied at 68 after that. But Bryant played so poorly after that stretch that I feel bad calling that stretch out as a positive. So we'll get to that because there was really some good and some bad from Thomas Bryant tonight. But I'm not going to going to call that the Hoosier proud banner moment tonight. Uh, really, I'm just going to go back to a possession late. It was 79 to 76. Thomas Bryant missed two free throws. And Indiana must have had four or five offensive rebounds, missed a few three-pointers, missed a couple of twos. Finally, OG got a rebound put back. And really, that's about the only positive for Indiana tonight is the work they did on the offensive glass, an offensive rebounding percentage of 51.2%, which is really, really good. And Indiana is usually a really good offensive rebounding team. Tonight, they really did a nice job of it. And it's really the only reason they were close because when you turn the ball over as much as Indiana did, 26.5% of your possessions, you need something to keep the game close, even against a team like Nebraska that came in not impressing anybody. Uh, and Indiana's work on the offensive glass uh, did that. So that's the positive tonight. That's the Hoosier Proud banner moment. Uh, but trust me, there will be plenty of, uh, of frustration uh, to come and plenty of disappointment that we discuss as we move forward here on this episode of the assembly call. Of course, our banner moment, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Hoosier Proud, an Indiana-based brand by Hoosiers for Hoosiers. And, you know, Connor at the team and Hoosier Proud offer a line of T-shirts and accessories that really are unmatched for anyone who wants a unique and stylish way to display their own pride in being a Hoosier. 
That's why we have our assembly call t-shirts produced with, uh, with Connor and the team. They do a great job. So check them out at HoosierProud.com. Use the promo code assembly to receive a 15% discount on your entire order. That's promo code assembly to receive 15% off at HoosierProud.com. All righty. Well, let's make that extra pass, find the open man, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our crew. Tonight, that's just one man, Andy Bottoms. Uh, please, Andy, give us your bottoms line brought to us by Bracketology.fm on this disappointing IU loss. I may be just one person. I m- might be able to fill the airtime of, of three, though. Um, this will probably be wide-ranging uh, in terms of, you know, I think you mentioned it as well. You know, to start the game was, you know, just gave Nebraska confidence. It sounds cliche to say, but you've got a team coming in that is two and six in its last eight games. That includes a loss at home to Gardner-Webb. That includes only beating Southern by five points in their last game out. And they came out and let them do whatever they wanted in the first few minutes and really let them stay in the game. And that continued uh, throughout in terms of really you know struggling to stop dual penetration and eventually just stop trying and, and played zone. Um, that gave them the confidence early on. Uh, the same thing happened in the second half. They shot some astronomical percentage in the second half. I don't even know uh, what it was. I don't have it in front of me. I'll, I'll pop back over to that in a minute. And then that was bookended by an end-of-game scenario where the execution was just awful. Uh, you know, they, they got up. And and seemed to have things, uh, you know, the Robert Johnson three put him up seventy three to seventy at that point. After that, there was a, a rebound that Thomas Bryant got. He's pushing the ball off the floor. I'm sitting here screaming in my living room to give the ball up. It was almost the exact replay of the same thing that OG did earlier in the half, where you know who you ran in front of to get the ball. You know that person is right behind you. You have to stop and give the ball up. So that's a turnover. Uh, there was another possession after that that uh, I don't think the ball ever got inside the three-point line, resulted in a long Blackman three. You had the then timeout with about three minutes left when you saw Bryant and Blackman get taken out of the game. Um, I get to a certain extent that they need a rest at that point, but that's coming out of a timeout. Um, so to put in Devontae Green in that scenario where he is, you know, hadn't played in I think 11 minutes plus, uh, even Deron Davis, who played really well in the first half, didn't play a ton in the second half. You bring those guys in cold off the bench. OG takes a three from the parking lot that was one of the worst shots I can recall uh, anyone taking off of, not a late clock scenario, like just right off of one or two passes. IU gets a gift by getting the ball back, and then Devontae Green ends up throwing it out of bounds because he and OG aren't on the same page, and things really just kind of snowballed from there. And, and uh, you know, missing free throws, all those kinds of things down the stretch. And the late game execution was just horrendous to right up to the end where you've got a chance and then they they drop a play that Newkirk gets the ball coming out of the timeout. He dribbles directly into the corner and turns the ball over. Um, one, what are, what is he doing going there? Two, why in that scenario is a guy who had struggled with decision-making for the majority of the game even have the ball in his hands? Um, so it was just, you know, th- those were the, you know, kind of the beginning chapter and the final chapter were pretty bad. And then in the middle, you had the Juwan Morgan injury, which is just sickening. Um just to see that kid, you know, get hurt and go down. And hopefully it's not as bad as it looked, but you know, I mean, it looked like there were tears streaming down his face when he's laying on the court uh, as best I could tell. And, and a play that I thought was, had nothing to do with the guy trying to get the rebound. I'm not saying he's trying to hurt John Morgan, but when they showed the replay from behind the basket, it was clear there was no way in the world that guy was going to get that rebound. It was going completely to the opposite, you know, side of where he was. And um, so just not really, uh, there were a couple positives tonight, which we we may eventually get to once we dig ourselves out of the the hole of 
uh, sorrow and, and bitterness that we're in right now. But um, it was uh, it was a rough one to say the least. And I thought they, you know, set the tone from the beginning of of really not coming out, getting beat to loose balls, and uh, gave Nebraska confidence that they really held on to uh, over the remainder of the game. Yeah, and I mean, again, you know, you kind of put this in perspective with just how kind of moribund Nebraska has been so far this year. You know, losing to Gardner Webb, they only beat Southern by five points coming in. But it, you know, and, and look at the numbers. I mean, Nebraska enters tonight 313th in the country in effective field goal percentage at 44.9 percent, and uh, it won't pull up here. But they shot something like you know 55 percent tonight. Uh, yeah, an effective field goal percentage of 55.5% tonight. Indiana, you know, has been good at defending the three-point line from a percentage basis all year, but Nebraska hits 9 of 18, and a lot of those were good, clean looks. I mean, this was just – this was a failure all around by Indiana. And I'll tell you what, Andy, as I was watching this game, what I thought of is, you know, I believe – correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Nebraska played the toughest non-conference schedule of any team in the Big Ten. Uh, and, you know, and you look at their non-conference schedule and it's got, you know, a couple 200s and a 100, but they played a whole bunch of top 100 opponents. And yeah, they're only six and six and their numbers don't look very good. You contrast that with Indiana that, you know, basically played four meaningful games and then a whole bunch of non-competitive cupcakes. And I'm not saying that the scheduling caused this, but my observation watching this game is that one team looked ready to compete for 40 minutes like they had been practicing competing for 40 minutes in all of their games and another team looked like they could kind of lollygag their way through stretches of the game kind of felt like they could turn it on make a couple of big runs and you know Nebraska would just wilt but Nebraska came to play for 40 minutes they came to make this a dogfight. and as I said on the halftime report look you know Indiana can come out you know play some good defense, don't turn the ball over, play like you're capable of playing, and you're going to win this game by 10 to 15 points in, you know, and really make it a comfortable second half, or you can keep playing like you are and it's going to be a dogfight and then anything can happen. And that's exactly what happened because Nebraska made some shots that maybe they don't normally make, but you allowed it to happen by turning it over, by not getting to loose balls, by giving them confidence, by doing all of these things that Indiana shouldn't be doing. And again, you know as the clock is winding down, I'm thinking, okay, well, on the bright side, because I always try and find the bright side, now Indiana loses, so we're going to drop out of the top 25, you know, surely, unless we, you know, go and beat Louisville. And, you know, we'll now kind of be an underdog in the Big Ten. So, hey, now we've got people right where we want them because we play better as an underdog, which is BS because this is Indiana University and we have to learn how to play like a favorite. And we didn't. And I just thought that we didn't look like a team prepared to play Big Ten basketball tonight. And I don't know if the scheduling has anything to do with it, but it sure felt like it. And whereas last year at Rutgers, Indiana put out a pretty similar performance, playing terrible. I think we turned it over on 30-some percent of our possessions last year against Rutgers. You had some guys at the end of that game who toughed it up, guys like Max Bielfeldt and Ryan Burton and even OG in that game, who was terrible tonight, and we'll get to that, You know, who stepped up and said, we're not going to lose this game. We played terrible. We're going to find a way to win. No one did that tonight. James Blackman didn't do that. You know, Thomas Bryant had a stretch, but then really faded late. No one stepped up to make those plays. And that's why we're sitting here talking about a four-point loss instead of maybe gutting out a four or five-point victory and you're feeling okay. And I, I get, look, the, this, the sky is not falling. The season is not over. Indiana can recover from this as disappointing as it feels. But, you know, for Indiana fans who are disappointed, who are feeling dejected, who are just frustrated with what we saw tonight, 
you're you don't need me to tell you that you're well within your rights to be that way because I think we we should expect better performances than this from this Indiana team and I think this is a good measuring stick for where this squad is and right now this squad isn't ready for Big Ten basketball and they need to get there quick because they got a game against Louisville and a game against Wisconsin coming up and if they play like this those games are going to go really 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 bad so consider that Ryan's rant for tonight I just stepped in to do it well done well done <laughs> I don't know yeah, you, you pick the next topic I don't know where to go <laughs> No, let's let's just riff and rage off of what you just said and just go from there. No, I, I mean, what what you said is true, though. I mean, this felt like it just feels like so many other losses over the course of time where it's like a familiar storyline of you come out, you, they don't really seem to be focused early. I mean, every loose ball, every rebound that was contested at the beginning of the game, Nebraska got every single one of them. And you started to see that change, and it was kind of like you want to lament the fact that these guys feel like it, it seems like they feel like they can just turn it on because then it seemed to work. You know, they hit a bunch of threes into the first half. They, they start to get up by a few points. You think, all right, well, this is going to, you know, they're going to pull away and, and do that. And I'm not so sure that they don't pull away if Robert Johnson doesn't pick up his fourth foul uh, yeah. so early in the second half. And, and but, but even so, exactly what you said, you know, I, I think I said something similar after the Butler game. Like you just were just begging for somebody to step up and take control and calm everybody down and slow things out. And, and it just never really happened. And uh, they got to a point when they couldn't play Johnson that they're trying to, you know, kind of piece together backcourt combinations because you really at that point only had, you know, Newkirk and Blackman. And then they're trying to rotate in, you know, Green and, and Jones at that point, especially after Morgan went you, out, you couldn't really play big with him. And uh, it, it was it was definitely it was definitely disappointing just to think about all the, the second chance points that they gave up uh, just by really getting getting outworked it, it seemed like and i think that's what's frustrating is that you you like to feel like you are past that point and yeah the the doldrums of you know a late december game when the students aren't on campus and all those kinds of things like all right i'll give you that for the slow start but it became apparent pretty quickly that you were in for a fight it wasn't gonna you know nebraska was not there to just roll over and and you've got two guys who score the majority of their points and you didn't slow down either one of them i mean they combined for 47 um, and, and scored the most points, you know, Nebraska scored the most points they have all year. That's, that speaks to the just complete, you know, lack of, of defensive awareness and, and effort and the zone slowed them down for a while. Um, but once they adjusted to it, they got some pretty good shots against it in the second half to a point where IU ended up going back and playing man, uh, again, the turnover issue, the same, you know, same story. They had four in the first four minutes. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'll be curious to go back and look to see how the other ones played out because it felt like, again, they just would come in bunches. You end up turning the ball over on, you know, one out of every four possessions. You, no matter how good you are offensively, you're not going to beat reasonably good teams. And, I'm, you know, we can debate whether Nebraska is reasonably good or not, but you, you're just giving away possessions in the same ways that you have in other games this year when it that wasn't enough to bring you down. Well, tonight it was enough. Against Louisville on Saturday, it's going to be more than enough. And uh, it, it just was... The, the familiarity of it, again, uh, remains frustrating to me. Um, let's see. I just got a text from Ryan. Oh, I thought maybe he was sending some thoughts over. Uh, nothing, I'm sure. He'll, he'll have plenty of thoughts for us. Tune into the radio show. Ryan, I'm sure we'll get his rant in on our radio show. Um, all right, so you mentioned Robert Johnson. That I know that was a hot-button decision, Tom Crean's decision about Robert Johnson, and there was a whole lot to not like about the work Tom Crean did tonight. No question about that. But I did not have a problem with what he did with Robert Johnson. We're going to get to that in a second. We'll kick off our next segment talking about that. Um, but first, real quick, I do want to take a quick minute and tell you about our other sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, as I've been telling you, 
buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. Maybe not, you know, not as confusing as some of the decisions Indiana made at the end of this game tonight, but confusing nonetheless. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show that you want to go to. And none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along. They've created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. That's why it's the first place I go to to look for tickets to a game or concert. Like tickets to the upcoming Indiana-Illinois game that we will be at on January 7th. Please, please, Hoosiers, give us a better performance in that game than you did tonight because it would sure be disappointing to fly all the way up there and see a performance like this. Um, but anyway, the SeatGeek website is great. Their app is great. It's designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. They do the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. They do the work you say that save the time and money. And the best thing is that Assembly Call listeners get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So to get your rebate, do this. Download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code assembly, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code assembly today. All righty. Well, you are listening to a disappointed, a dejected episode of the Assembly Call as Indiana drops its Big Ten opener 87 to 83 to Nebraska. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms, and we are breaking down Indiana's loss. And Andy, let's talk about really one of the most important decisions of the night. Uh, and really, there were two of them. Robert Johnson picked up his second foul, uh, I believe, you know, relatively early in the first half or I don't know, five or six minutes left, something like that. Tom Crean decided to stick with him. Uh, Robert proceeds right after that to make two straight three-pointers. I mean, it was almost like, hey, you're leaving me in, coach. I'm really going to make the most of this. He drains two three-pointers. It either brought Indiana back, put him in the lead, something like that. They got close, and it really looked like a good decision. Well, Robert then proceeded to pick up his third foul in the first half, and it was, you know, to me, it looked like he was just kind of trailing his guy, not really, not playing the good fundamental Robert Johnson defense we've come to know and expect. And he kind of reached out. It was a bit of a ticky-tack foul. You could see him, you know, kind of jump up, incredulous that the foul had been called, but I think also disappointed in his own effort there. So he gets his third foul. He sits, uh, you know, comes out to start the second half, plays well again. Indiana gets off to a good start. I think they rattled off seven straight points in the, in the to start the second half. And you're thinking, okay, here come the Hoosiers. And then Robert gets another reach-in foul. And, you know, you can look at it and you can say, OK, why does Crean keep him in there to get that third foul? Why does he have him playing at the start of the second half to get the fourth foul? I think coaches are, are, are too conservative in those situations normally. So I didn't have a problem with it. I, I think we've seen Crean do it with Thomas Bryant and Thomas has responded. And we came on here in the Butler game and criticized him for taking Thomas out at the end of the first half when Butler proceeded to go on, I think, a 12-5 run to end the first half with Bryant on the bench. So Crean trusted his guy, a junior guard, who, when was the last time Robert Johnson was in foul trouble? So, I mean, the odds are with you. It's a good decision by Crean. His player let him down, plain and simple. I really think when Robert looks at both of those fouls, he's going to be disappointed because when you play defense in foul trouble, obviously you have to be more careful. You can't take chances. And, and in a way, you have to be less aggressive, but you can't be you can't play without your fundamentals. You have to still play hard, just not take as many chances. And in this case, in both of those cases, Robert was a little bit lazy. And instead of moving his feet, moved his arm, his hand, and he picks up the foul. And I just think in a situation like that, in a game like this, you have to be able to trust your junior guards who are your de facto leaders because you have no seniors. And I thought as good as Robert played at times. And I think if he doesn't get into foul trouble, Indiana probably wins this game because, you know, the plus minus in the second half has to be, I mean, just the minus has to be really low with Robert off the court. 
I just thought I thought he let his coach down tonight with by picking up those fouls. Um, and so I don't fault Crean for that. I, I fault Robert. And, and again, you know, as many shots as he made, he's got to be smarter than that. He's got to be better than that. Understand how important it is that he's on the court. Yeah, I just thought I, I don't remember. I don't remember the second one, um, but it was about two minutes later. I just looked up the timing. It was two, two and a half minutes later that he picked up the, the third and the fourth, I think was to me was was similar where you just. Yeah, it was just a position where even if you didn't actually foul the guy, you're going to get called for it because you're reaching so far out of your area and where you are. And it's funny that at that point, like you're getting fouls when you're playing a zone, which for a guy playing out at the top of the zone should be an easy way to not get into foul trouble. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. I don't have any issue with him leaving him in in the, in the first half. I thought he was playing really well. They really needed him at that point. They were just starting to get some momentum back and and really took the lead. Toward the end of the toward the end of the half, when when he was on the floor, I believe, and so uh, he's done. Crean has you know done that quite a bit. Has has been rewarded for it more often than not. And Johnson, a guy, I just kind of look back. He fouled out of the Kansas game, but I mean, you and I nearly fouled out of the Kansas game, so that's <laughs> that's fair. And uh, I think other than that, I think he had four fouls in two games last year, and maybe one or two uh, had at least four fouls a year before. So not a guy who, to your point, has typically been in foul trouble. And so I think that's. Uh, a, a reasonable gamble to make at that point, but certainly the one in the beginning of the second half was just, you, you just can't make that play. The, 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 the reward of getting the steal that he might've gotten, it does not outweigh the risk at that stage of the game. I mean, it, it, it proved the the coming minutes. I mean, immediately after that went on a huge run uh, after he went out of the game, Nebraska did. And so, you know, that kind of proved his, his worth quite a bit. And I thought he was the one guy who, when he was in there for the most part, would settle things down offensively and get the ball where it needed to be uh, in a way that I think others struggled uh, to do as the primary ball handler or even as a secondary ball handler. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was big. I think if he plays, if he's able to play even 12 or 14 minutes in the second half, I think IU wins by, you know, eight points. Uh, we'll never know that, but he, he certainly, I mean, his plus minus numbers were uh, among the best of the starters, I believe, in the first half. All the best guys in the first half were ones that came off the bench. But uh, And then I think it just got exaggerated when Morgan went out because you've now kind of taken out of what you would say, you know, two of your six best players are now, well, two of you, arguably your five best players are now unavailable at that point. Uh, and it was hard to mix and match lineups because Juwan was a guy who, if they wanted to only play, you know, kind of one true guard that maybe they they play him at the other uh, spot, steal a few minutes here and there, and that was kind of out the window. And and then you saw uh, a little bit of you know kind of weird lineups at, at times in the second half. McRoberts got a lot of minutes. Didn't think he did uh, a ton tonight. And I think that was just a function of you know. Again, we talked about this before. You know, a guy he's not looking at the basket, and and um, while his awareness on defense is pretty good. Uh, you know, that, that kind of came back to hurt. So I think the, the combination of those two guys being out hindered the rotation to, to such a degree that it really became hard to overcome. Yeah. You know, and, and criticizing Robert in this way is almost a backhanded compliment in a way, because, you know, look, the, 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 the biggest problems tonight were not Robert Johnson, 19 points. You know, what I'm looking at, he was, you know, plus 11, one of the only guys who was positive. But it's just it's the burden of responsibility that he has as a leader to be smarter than that and to have, you know, he's 7-11 from the field. You know, he's clicking. and He's got to stay on the court. That said, you know, the last time I checked, you know, the three guys who have potential NBA aspirations in this game were all on the Indiana side. I'd, I'd have to look, but I don't think Glenn Watson and Ty Webster are on a lot of NBA draft boards. And yet those two guys were the two best players on the court tonight. 
And that is not a good statement to make for Thomas Bryant, for James Blackman Jr. and OG Ananobi. And when Indiana inflicts this many wounds upon itself, and when it's lottery level players and NBA draft level players don't play like that and don't even really play, you know, at all up to their standards, you get performances like this. And I thought, you know, Andy, you mentioned, you know, that we're kind of waiting for people to step up. And I thought James Blackman Jr. tried to do that. You know, and the way he steps up is to make shots. Well, he forced a few threes and missed them. He had that wide open layup that he missed late. You know, and James is a guy who's made a lot of shots in the Kansas game and the North Carolina game. He's made big shots this year. Tonight, he didn't make them. And when he's not making those shots, you know, he's obviously not as valuable. And four for 14 from James tonight, you know, there wasn't anybody else there to compensate for that because Thomas was five for 12. OG was four for 10. And, you know, let's save Thomas because I want to break down the night for Thomas Bryant because it was a really wildly fluctuating night. But I want to get your thoughts, Andy, on James and also OG, who, you know, you mentioned the the three-pointer that he took from Ellettsville that was just such an ill-advised shot. And you look at the numbers, 12 points, eight boards. He did have six offensive rebounds, so he led Indiana in that category. And he had some man-sized rebounds. I mean, just some whoa rebounds where you know what the NBA scouts love about OG. I mean, you can see it. You know, two blocks, two steals a block, all of that. But I also felt, you know, he came out again and just – was kind of sleepwalking through the start of the game. He's got to stop doing that. You know, it just had some possessions defensively where he checked out a little bit. And offensively, you know, the shot just looks a little bit off. And, and those turnovers, he's got to stop doing that. I mean, he's too big a focal point for this team to keep making freshman mistakes like that. You know, he's a guy who's got to play like a junior. And, and tonight we didn't see that from him. So your thoughts on James and OG, who, who Indiana needed more from tonight and didn't get it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start with OG. I, I definitely thought there were there was a couple possessions right in, right in a row in the first half where it got lost defensively. I think in in somewhat transition, but you know, gave up two wide open threes and credit the Nebraska guy hit both of them. Um, but but you know, two of five from the line that continues to be a problem. Uh, and, and I just thought he, he again kind of struggled for that balance. There were times when he seemed really adamant about getting the ball in the post and trying to do something, but those were too few and far between in what he needs to do. And it isn't that he can't make, you know, two point shots, but we saw what an advantage his athleticism was uh, on some of those rebounds that you talked about. You know, Nebraska is not a team that has a ton of size. Uh, even Morrow who had ended up with 10 rebounds. I think he's only six, seven um, just uses his body really well to do that. I thought there were just missed blockout opportunities. I think OG was a culprit of that. I think a lot of guys were culprits of that. Oh, Thomas missed so many late too. Oh yeah. 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 We'll and, and, sorry. yeah. And, and I think these guys continue to struggle to finish around the rim. And I, I tweeted at one point that should scare people a lot heading into the Louisville game where they block shots as well as anybody and have a really strong two point defense. A lot of big guys inside. I mean, this team got a lot of shots blocked by around the rim. I mean, Moro, again, just mentioned he's only, you know, six, seven. I think he had five blocks maybe in the game. Um, and, and so I, I think that, you know, I, I don't understand some of that where they would like to get themselves trapped and behind the backboard. Um, and, and some of it is just footwork and making quick moves. I mean, I think to, to Deron Davis, when, you know, he got a ball on a high, low post feed from Bryant and in a second, I mean, he had turned and, and made the shot and they're getting into these situations where they, you know, take a few dribbles and then they're trying to, you know, pivot a little bit and they're just, you know, use your athleticism to your advantage and try to go up quick. Uh, they, they give time for other defenders to come over and, and things like that. I, I just thought his, 
I thought it was, I was honestly surprised to see that he ended up with 12 points. Um, cause I thought for the most part that he really, he really struggled. It was a, it was a really rough first half from him. Um, but then you saw other points when he really got locked in on defense and he guarded Webster for a while, uh, there late in the game. And, and I thought did a fairly good job. So it was a, a mixed bag for him for sure. Um, you know, Blackman two of nine, uh, on threes, I think, you know, a little bit of that is just a product of that huge stretch when Robert Johnson wasn't out there. Cause at that point it was like, well, nobody else is going to shoot threes or, or give much of a threat to make them. Um, and so he, you know, fell into that a little bit, but, uh, you know, continued to, to struggle defensively. And I just thought there were some, uh, there were some shots where it's kind of the same thing. I don't know if this is him or, or other things, but it's, you know, they'll come out for a few possessions. I think Crean took a timeout at some point in the first half. They came out for a few possessions in a row, just pounded the ball inside. Could tell they made a concerted effort to get it in there. And then slowly, little by little, they deviated away from that and then and then and they didn't really go back to it. And so they were kind of like kind of the same thing. You know, so you know, like out of almost every timeout, they would try to do that. And then just within a couple of seconds, they would go out of it. And so, you know, you have possessions where I would wonder how many of the nine threes he took where the ball actually got inside the three-point line or got inside the three-point line by very much. Um, as we start thinking back to that Austin P game when, you know, we're not going to criticize taking a bunch of threes when they're coming in the flow and you're really making the defense react to, um, you know, one of those possessions. I think the one after the, the Bryant turnover late was one where the ball never got more than a foot inside the three point line and led to him taking a, a contested three. Um, so I just thought too many of his shots really weren't in the flow and were just kind of like needed to be one on one plays or were one on one plays. Uh, and I, I definitely. You know, I think of the two, OG's was the more um, disappointing at times, and he did tweak his ankle. I don't know how much of a factor that is, um, but again, I think to what you said, you know, we we continue to kind of make up. Uh, I I don't even know if it's excuses. We continue to like kind of come up with explanations for why the performances aren't what we continue to expect. And at some point, those can't be there anymore. No, am I looking at this right? Did Ron Davis really only play eleven minutes? Where's the box? Uh, he wrong. Uh, he, I don't think he played very much in the second half. So that's the one I'm looking at. I'll look and Why? see what it says in the second half. I thought he, he really, you mentioned this earlier, but I don't, I don't get that. I mean, he played he, seven. The one I'm looking at says he played seven in the first half, which would leave then four in the second half. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I've got as well. I didn't do the, the lineup. Um, I got it like partway through the lineup stuff, but yeah, he was, uh, I thought he played extremely well. He played close to eight minutes in the first half. So that means he probably played closer to three really in the second half. I was, uh, definitely surprised by that, especially with Morgan going out. You know, he and he and Bryant were pretty successful when they played together uh, in the first half. I'm not sure that Man. they did that a whole lot in the second half. But yeah, I don't get that at all. Um, all right, let's talk about Thomas because my goodness, was this a a crazy game for Thomas? You know, on the plus side, if you just look at the box score, this looks like a great game for Thomas. 17 points, 10 rebounds, five offensive boards, four assists, a steal, four blocks. You know, only two turnovers. You know, and again, not as efficient as we're used to seeing five of 12, missed a few free throws, but out there for 33 minutes, you know, played hard. But then, you know, what I'm looking at, he's a minus 14 for the game. And, you know, look, the, the sequence that I was talking about earlier that was going to be my banner moment, you know, especially when it looked like Indiana was getting ready to come back. It's 65 58. And, you know, Indiana, obviously, at that point, there's no momentum. They really make a, a concerted effort to get the ball to Bryant. He's really patient. That was that one play where he, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, kept his pivot foot. You know, just one of those vintage Thomas Bryant plays where he's really patient, waits, scores, gets fouled, makes the free throw at 65-61. Next possession, he gets a huge rebound. Uh, and then, 
Uh, Newkirk ends up getting a steal uh, out to James Blackman Jr., who misses a three. Bryant gets a huge rebound and gets fouled at 65-63. On the next possession, you know, Thomas is feeling it a little bit, passes up a three to make the extra pass to OG for a three. That makes it 68-66. And then the very next possession after that, Thomas gets a rebound and then sets a great screen that helped Newkirk get free for a bucket. And we're tied. And Thomas was basically involved in every good thing that happened in that sequence. And the crowd's going crazy and everything's good. And then I'm not sure he made another good play after that, Andy. I mean, really, I thought at the end of the game, I mean, I don't know what happened to Thomas, but it, you know, it was 73 to 70. Indiana's ahead, and Bryant's leading that break. I mean, that at that point, are you not thinking, all right, we got this? It's 73-70, momentum's on our side. We're leading the break. And you're thinking, okay, he's going to give the ball up, right? Give the ball up, right? He doesn't. He turns it over. Nebraska gets a bucket. The next possession, Blackman forces a deep three, misses it. Then right after that, Watson ends up you know, getting fouled and one. They go up 75-73, and then I don't believe Indiana ever led again after that. And especially late in that game, Nebraska missed a few shots, and Bryant, who did, did a pretty good job rebounding all night, just missed a few blockouts and just was kind of a non-factor from there. And it was, it was just a weird game for Thomas because, again, you know, he has those stretches where you say, yes, this is All-American Thomas Bryant. Here he is. He's taking over. And then I, I don't know what happened to him the end of that game, but whether it was lost composure, lost focus. Um, I don't know what it was, but, but I thought he really played poorly after it, from the moment of that turnover on. It's like he could never get it back going again. Um, so a game that looks pretty good in the box score and had some really, really good moments, you know, but ultimately I think Indiana needed more from Thomas Bryant tonight. And I think it's fair to expect that, you know, given how this game went and how good Thomas can be. Yeah, definitely uneven. Jared Odell, a former IU player, had an interesting tweet about him, which I'll not read, but it was uh, it was interesting. So people can go check that out on on Twitter if they want. Not sure what we can and cannot say when we're uh, there on the radio. So we'll, oh, yeah. uh, I'll I'll leave it be uh, for now. But it was, I mean, yeah, it was just absolutely uneven. Just the, the number again, the number of times that he got beat on rebounds just because because of positioning and things like that. Even defensively, there was another possession when. I think it was in the first half. Deron Davis ended up getting a block, but I mean, Bryant let the guy, you know, two feet in the lane, um, and, and just really, you know, doing the work positionally uh, to really, you know, root guys out of there. Because I thought he could have had an even bigger game than he did, um, as evidenced by my bold prediction of him having twenty and ten. Which if he makes his free throws, he would have done. Um, you know, but it was just you know the opportunities were there against a team that struggled to defend him. And there were too many times when he didn't even, you know, I think the possession after the turnover that we talked about with Blackman, I'm not even sure Bryant made it more than two steps inside the three point line during that, let alone the ball. And so, you know, he's out trying to set ball screens and things like that. Like just go post up. Don't, you know, um, and whether he thought he wasn't going to get the ball, I, I really have no idea, but we continue to see that more often than not, this team gets a ball inside. Good things happen. Uh, in post-up scenarios, whether that's through him or Davis, uh, both did a nice job kicking out for threes in the in the first half. That that big run where Robert Johnson hit a couple in a row. You know, both those guys made nice passes out of the post. Uh, it just it, it just is again. I guess the familiarity of it is what just feels like you're beating your head against the wall and trying not to say the same thing we've said so many times. But I, I just don't understand why this team struggles to do that, and then he gets so caught up in other aspects of the game that have nothing to do with. Uh, things that really matter, um, you know, whether it be, you know, calls or, or whatever. And then, you know, I, I think he's 
found more of a balance from a, a, an emotional standpoint this year, but I think there's still work to do there because there continue to be times when he just gets, you know, too worried about, uh, you know, things that, that really are inconsequential to what's going on at that exact moment and allows himself to kind of be out of it for, you know, even if it's just for a few seconds on a possession, we saw that tonight, that's enough to make a difference to allow easy baskets. Yeah. Oh, what a frustrating night. Indiana loses 87 to 83 in their Big Ten opener. Um, you know, here's the thing, Andy, about playing sub 300 competition. And this is why, you know, we we have, have criticized the schedule. Was the schedule better in terms of the top level of the schedule? Yes. You know, playing Kansas, playing North Carolina, that really helped the top end of the schedule and gave Indiana a chance to compete against the nation's best and play against the nation's best. And Indiana did well in those games, you know, and you have the tasty matchup against Butler and the game at Fort Wayne is nice. So you've got those four games and then eight games of crap at home against teams that can't compete with you, even if you play poorly. So we've come on here on these postgame shows really unsure of what to say. What did we just see that's real that's going to continue on? And in Indiana's last game against Austin P, we saw Josh Newkirk play by far his best game of the season. 11 points, 11 assists. He was terrific. And, you know, Andy, you know me. I mean, I try and be as positive as I can possibly be. And I sat down that night to write our postgame email. And all I had was this nagging negative feeling that what we saw in the Austin P game might be more fool's gold than something that's really going to carry forward. Because we've been talking for so long about how Look, Josh Newkirk brings good things to the table. He defends. He can get to the basket, although he hasn't made good decisions when he's gotten there, either to shoot or to pass. So how valuable is it really with him penetrating until he can do that? But if he could, and he made a big three tonight, by the way, when it was 77-73, so credit to him for that. We've talked about if he can minimize the mistakes and having the ball in his hands like at the end of the game where your worst decision maker gets it in a big possession and dribbles right into the corner and gets trapped, which really, you know, do you fault Josh for that? Yes, but I also fault the coaches for putting him in that position. And we've talked about how, you know, let's get Robert the ball more, and that's hard to do on a night like tonight when he has foul trouble. All that to say, I left that Austin P game, you know, really thinking, okay, you know, now we've got this game against a team that can't compete with Indiana. Josh has 11 assists. Everything looks pretty. But if the ball ends up in his hands more, is that a good thing? Because most lineups, he's the fourth or fifth best player on the court. And it's a lot different than the last, you know, three or four years with Yogi, where usually your best player in Yogi is the guy with the ball most of the time. And that's kind of the ratio that you want. And we're seeing too much of Indiana this year where its worst offensive option has the ball in his hands the most. And he hasn't proven consistent at creating for other people yet. Tonight, 11 points, two assists, three turnovers. You can't have a guy who isn't a threat to shoot and isn't a threat offensively having a negative assist to turnover ratio. And yet you walk out of that Austin P game and you're thinking maybe this is a formula that can work, except it's not. And you end up learning lessons that aren't really lessons. And then you get smacked in the face when you play a decent team. Nebraska isn't even really a good big 10 team. I mean, obviously, you know, you look at it tonight. I don't know what that makes Indiana, but coming in, you wouldn't have called Nebraska an upper level big 10 team. And yet they came into assembly hall and smacked the Hoosiers who again, just didn't look ready to play. And so, I say all this just to kick back kind of the same tired argument that we've had, but, you know, more specifically with Newkirk, you know, whatever we thought we might have gained in the Austin P game, I think tonight showed us that those those gains were not there. 
Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you could see, somebody tweeted this to me as well. I mean, Nebraska was just inviting him to dribble the ball toward the basket and see what would happen. Um, and, and you see teams are starting to, this is going to be even more true of teams now that you get into the Big Ten. I mean, they're scouting these guys. Again, I think somebody mentioned this to me as well. They said, you know, these teams have Newkirk and McRoberts scouted. When those guys are on the court at the same time, they know that they're not likely to shoot the ball and, and they're just game planning around what the, you know, trying to force those guys to do things they don't want to do or know that they won't do. And, and I just, you know, I, you know, Josh would get in, he would go on, you know, go all the way through the, the lane underneath the basket at times, not really have an idea what was going to do when he came out the other side. And, um, you know, there were some other near turnovers that weren't, uh, and that could have made that number even more. And it just, you know, and then you, you spin this forward to well, what happens if Juwan Morgan's out for a little while. And I don't know how you avoided it at that point. Um, because, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, we, we've had a lot of discussion on, you know, this team's best five is, you know, Morgan, Ananobi, Bryant, Blackman, and Johnson. So now one of those guys is out. There there seems to be no clear alternative to Newkirk, at least in terms of the amount of playing time that guys have received so far this year. Well, especially um, if it, we're going to keep Deron Davis in a neat little box on the bench. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I... I I really don't. I really don't know what the answer is. I, I fear that the personnel on the roster, or at least the way they've been utilized thus far, suggests there's not a whole lot that's going to change. Even though I tend to side with you that, you know, again, how do we, you know, rein him in, get him some confidence in, in short spurts? To me, that is done by playing him in stretches off the bench, and if he plays well, then give him a few extra minutes. But um, that clearly isn't what's been done so far, and I struggle to think that that's going to change. Uh, at any point as they as they move through here and and you kind of led into this with the schedule so I'll kind of get this quick rant in as well please do you know, pe- pe- people I, I tweeted this out the other day and some dude came back all angry about it and and said oh it's just call it the rest of the season my point was only that IU was already had dropped you know 30 some spots last week by winning winning games by a big margin and their RPI was in the in the upper 90s um, which for all that everybody wants to talk about, hey, the schedule is great because we played these good teams. With playing those good teams, it's somewhat difficult to do to make your overall number look that bad by scheduling the rest of your non-conference games against teams that are as bad as they are. Well, IU has dropped even more than that now, which does not mean that we should cancel the season. does not mean that IU is not going to make the tournament. But people need to understand the ramifications of the scheduling that's done, both from a in-game standpoint, as you mentioned earlier, in the fact that how many close situations does this team really have? How many other, you know, how much adversity does this team really face outside of those handful of games against good teams? And the other ones were all cakewalks. And so, you know, here we are trying to figure out what happened. And it's like, well, maybe he doesn't feel like he can play some of these other guys in these spots. Well, you better figure out who you're going to play because every game from here on out is going to be more like this than than the other games that you've you've seen. And so if it's a trust thing of, I, yeah, I, I don't feel like I can play Deron Davis or, you know, Newkirk is the guy who I want to leave out there, then we should have used those games to figure out who the other alternatives were. Um, because, because to me, now we're left with these questions about what do we do with the roster? And now you're figuring it out against big 10 teams as opposed to Ohio Valley teams. Yeah. Uh, so we do have an update. Uh, Will is manning the assembly call Twitter account and we've got an all caps update. Juwan Morgan seems to have only bruised his shoulder, no dislocation. So, you know, look, it's way too early to have any type of diagnosis, but that is definitely good news because man, Andy, I don't know how you reacted to that. Um, I almost got in big trouble here at home because my daughter was sleeping and I've done a really good job all season long of keeping my composure 
But man, when he went down, I just started screaming, no, 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 and slapping the couch cushions because, I mean, there's just, you know, there's certain injuries with guys when they've had an injury before, you know, and, and you see him go down. It's like, you know, it, when Maurice Creek was on Indiana after he came back and anytime anybody came close to his knee and you're just cringing and that's how it is with Juwan and his shoulder. And then you see the kid, you know, writhing on the ground and just in such obvious pain. And I just... I mean, it was just awful to watch. Um, and, and I mean, easily, easily the worst moment of the season. Don't give me losses. Don't give me anything like that. Seeing him down like that, by far the worst moment of the season. Um, so if it is only a bruise and it's not long term, my goodness, would that be awesome? Um, because we'll get into how much he means and all of that. But such a great kid. And he's battled back so hard from these injuries. And you just want to see him you know, get a break, man, in a good way, you know? Uh, so I, I really hope that that's a sign of something good to come for him. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, uh, I had a similar reaction to you and luckily my kids are still awake. So I didn't need to worry about waking anybody up, but it was, yeah, there, there's a lot of things we, we can come on and we've talked for, you know, a half hour for how disappointing the loss has been, but there are things that are, uh, are certainly more important than that. Um, as you watch in one of the reasons you like to watch college sports is because there's things more important than that about, you know, watching these guys and, getting some small glimpse into their character and things like that. And, and to see him uh, potentially, you know, go down there was, uh, was pretty disheartening. So hopefully, uh, you know, Will's, Will's report is correct and that's how it ends up. Uh, and as we do this, the uh, turnover bug appears to have hit the football teams. They just fumbled oh boy. Uh, in the red zone. So everything, everything's going great. Yeah. By the way, my daughter did wake up, um, but my wife understood why. So she wasn't even, she wasn't even upset. She understood why the, the emotional reaction, I don't think wonderful, I would have. Wonderful woman. Wonderful. Yeah, well, she is. Well, she was just as disappointed as I was. Um, oh, God, I hated seeing that. Um, all right. So uh, let's talk about some other stuff here in a second. That's the worst tease I've ever done <laughs> on the show. Uh, but uh, real quick, um, I do want to give you uh, where are we at here? Oh, yeah. Why you should join the assembly call. Certainly not for our great transitions in the postgame show. Not for the last 20 seconds. <laughs> no, certainly. But there are lots of other reasons. Right. Maybe the worst 20 seconds in our show's history. But that's okay. Here are three, three quick reasons. Uh, it's quick and easy. So go to assemblycall.com slash join. It'll take you 15 seconds. Uh, it's how you get our best content because you get our six banner Saturday news roundups, our detailed postgame analysis emails. And it's how you connect with the assembly call community in the forum, in our postgame live chat. Uh, so if you like what you hear on the assembly call, becoming a member is the next logical step. Join us for free at assemblycall.com slash join. All righty. You are listening to the assembly call IU post game show. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy bottoms. We're breaking down Indiana's 87 to, to 83 loss to Nebraska tonight. Um, all right. I mean, we've broken down a lot of the negatives tonight, Andy, and there are many of them. Let's challenge each other now to find some positives that maybe we haven't talked about yet. Um, and, and I think I think we should linger a little bit longer on Deron Davis, who, you know, made a couple of great passes in the first half. I thought, you know, battled nicely on defense, you know, had three boards, a couple of blocks in only 11 minutes. And I know at the beginning of the season, his minutes were limited because of conditioning, you know, and just getting up to speed. But it's December 28th, and he's played 15 to 20 minutes in a game before. You're in a game where Juwan Morgan's hurt, Robert Johnson's out, and you even had, you know, you saw in the first half Indiana play well with Thomas Bryant and Deron Davis out there together. How do you not go to that lineup more in the second half? So my plaudits for Deron Davis have turned into a rant about why he didn't play more. 
Um, so maybe let's focus on some of the good things Duran did because I think again he shows that you know he's ready to play up to the level we're expecting of him, which is basically a freshman who needs to play like a sophomore because you know Indiana's in that position where everybody's got to kind of play up a year uh, because of the lack of experience. He seems ready, but let's give him some run. I, I mean, maybe there'll be an explanation for why he didn't play, but right now it doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, the only thing that I can think of uh, was I, I did think the zone struggled a bit when he and Bryant were in there because that made Bryant play on the wing uh, on the baseline, and I think he struggled at times to cover ground and, and get where he needed to be in the, in the areas that, you know, kind of covering that entire area. But other than that, I, I thought they played well together on the offensive end, and, and certainly their size was something that Nebraska didn't have a uh, – you know, a clear, a clear answer for, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I feel like we come on same after every game, say the same thing about how impressed we are with him. And I thought he, you know, again, made, you know, the basket he scored was on a, on a really quick move in the post. That was, uh, that was nice. And, you know, proven to be a decent free throw shooter when he gets sent to the line. And, uh, I, definitely a guy I would have liked to see play more because I thought he, he deserved to play more, uh, in a game when effort felt like, uh, a potential issue for for guys in stretches. I didn't think that was the case with him, even on, uh, you know, even the play toward the end of the game. I mean, he went and tried to chase that rebound down after OG's, uh, you know, that long three where the rebound kind of caromed out, and him trying to chase the ball down led to IU getting it back because it ended up going off the Nebraska player. Um, and so really thought, you know, from an effort hustle standpoint, uh, he continues to play well. I think positioning defensively, uh, is is good with him and and shot blocking continues to be a strength. So uh, to me at this point, you know, we talked about maybe not having a great handle on some of the guys coming off the bench, uh, even after the non-conference season. Again, not to not to belabor the schedule, but you know, I think we all felt like uh, very all left the non-conference or most of the non-conference uh, portion of the season feeling really good. Uh, about what Duran Davis uh, could bring and how consistent he was and how much we all trusted him uh, to be on the court at key times and, and play well. And so I would say with that as backdrop, I think that is, uh, I guess, the question that I would have, uh, especially when you compare it to, we can kind of use this transition to the other freshman. I, I thought, you know, Devontae Green, his stretch he played at the end of the first half was was quite good. Um, and, and Curtis Jones, I don't didn't feel like he really did you know, a lot, you know, positive or negative. I know uh, uh, one of the sites kind of, you know, tweeted out uh, something of him, you know, kind of jogging back from half court and giving up a basket. Uh, I think it was Big Ten Geeks, maybe. Yeah, um, and he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't play very hard on defense. I mean, I like Curtis, and I think you see this with a lot of freshmen that I don't think they understand the grit that you have to play with defensively at the next level. And I think he's capable, and I think he may think he's playing hard, but you can kind of see it, and it's a little bit Blackman-esque at times, I think, you know, to where he's down in a stance, but not really out there after it, you know? And, and I think mm -hmm. he's got he's got to learn, uh, you know, I think get acclimated to this level, and he doesn't seem like he's there yet. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that, you know, perhaps we're answering some of our own questions about the, the Newkirk you know, question that you asked earlier oh, yeah. is if you're not going to play him, who are you going to play? And, you know, so far we've walked away feeling good about two of the guards at this point and in Johnson and Blackman. Um, and so, you know, nobody's advocating for those guys to get fewer minutes at this point, but I just don't know that there's a clear answer of if you're taking some of Newkirk's minutes, who are you giving those to, unless you're really playing bigger lineups and playing, you know, more of, of Bryant and Davis together or playing more of OG and Juwan together, uh, assuming Juwan's healthy and those kinds of things. I mean, maybe we're answering our own question here. Yogi, can we give those minutes to Yogi? 
I would love. Can to. we can we have Troy back, please? Yeah. <laughs> hey, but I mean, seriously, you know, these are the losses that really highlight the loss of Yogi. And I know that was a, a a popular discussion point after the Kansas game. Is Indiana better without Yogi Ferrell? All these options, yada yada. And the Fort Wayne game was a great reminder. The Butler game was a great reminder, and this has been a great reminder. And look, you know, Indiana lost some really bad games last year with Yogi, so there is clearly something in the program right now that, that, you know, is causing some of these things to happen. And even right around the same time, it's kind of weird. Um, you know, but look on the bright side, we got to try and steer this back to the bright side because it's, you know, look, we, we come on here. It's cathartic. We got to get out all these negative feelings, but perspective is important. And this is still a team, you know, yes, they've got three really bad losses, but everything is still there for this team. And there's a team that last year, you know, lost some really bad games early in the year and used them as a springboard to turn it around into something special. Now, last year's team, you know, ended up revealing itself to have great in, in, in kind of internal fortitude and togetherness and leadership. And we're, we still have to wait and see that from this team. But at this time last year, we weren't quite sure what we had. So a lot of unanswered questions last year at this time that were answered positively. A lot of you know questions we're asking now that need to be answered. Um, but I have to say, a, a performance like this does shake my confidence um, a fair amount, a, a, as I think it should for anybody. But you know, this is not this is not a killer if Indiana can maybe you know find a way to use it like it seemed to use the Duke game last year to drive it to better defense and better play. But again, it's got to start quickly because. You know, there's there aren't a couple, you know, last year after the Duke game, Indiana had, I think, you know, McNeese State and they they played Notre Dame. But then there were a few games to kind of get yourself ready. It's Wisconsin and it's Louisville coming up next. And I don't even think we need you to give us your your vintage Andy Bottoms previews to know how tough those games are going to be. Because here's the thing. We've talked about this before. Don't you like how me trying to steer it into a positive has somehow gone negative again? That's just that's just the night, I think. There's a uh, lot of dead ends if you're trying to find positives out of tonight's game. So I'm probably trying. fair that that may happen. Try. It's a valiant, it's a valiant effort. <laughs> but the thing about those two teams, and you've talked about this before, Andy, is they know who they are and they do what they do. And I don't think we know who this Indiana team is. At least we don't have an answer that we want to admit. Because, you know, I mean, those couple of big wins notwithstanding, Indiana's been exposed in a lot of its other minutes in competitive basketball games. And that's starting to be really disappointing. Yeah, I, I, it's just, I mean, I guess I keep going back to the turnovers. And I, I pulled this up because I talked before about how it seemed like they came in bunches again. So here's, you know, four in a four-minute stretch. Then here's three more in a one-minute and three-second stretch. Then here's three more in a minute and 23 seconds. I mean, that's just in the first half. I mean, so there was, you know, 10 turnovers in the first half, but all of them came in a combined, you know, four-ish four minutes. Or, no, I guess that'd be uh, six or seven-ish minutes. Um, and second half, kind of a, a similar story. You know, two within 26 seconds of each other. Uh, then you've got, you know, two within another two minutes. And then you've got three over the last four minutes of the game, four over the last five minutes of the game. And it, it, you just can't continue to play that way against teams that, you know, we talk about this again at Louisville. I mean, you know, high turnover rate, all those things. I mean, those things will just snowball and turn into an avalanche at some point if you can't get those things figured out. And that is all who is handling the ball, what situations are being put in, even who they're giving the ball to, you know, the, 
you know, a lot of a lot of discussion in the first half about the the Duran Davis offensive foul. While you can certainly debate whether that was a good call or not, you know, Newkirk is kind of setting him up as like the freight train coming down the tracks to just run headlong into a, a pack of defenders um, that are there. And there was another break in the first half when Newkirk ran like two steps in front of Blackman, who had the ball and didn't fan out at all, and allowed all the defenders to just you know guard both of them um, in that in that situation. And just you, you just can't make these silly mistakes and and have such little regard for taking care of the ball um, that then you walk into these games, these teams of, yeah, you know exactly who they are um, and, and, and they're just going to impose their will on you. And so we see that IU just not able to impose its will on other teams uh, more often than not. And I think that becomes, becomes a real problem because what is the identity of this team? It certainly isn't on the defensive end. And that was really almost what, you know, last year's team, everybody loved the offense. That was great. But they they started to be, you know, the defense was so much better uh, over the course of the season that it, you know, it, maybe it wasn't their identity, but it was a big part of who that team became. Maybe it was just because they, maybe it was just because they improved so much, quite honestly. But, um, you know, what, what does this team really hang its hat on other than if they're shooting the ball really well, then, then there, there's a good chance they're going to play well because it isn't getting the ball inside consistently. It isn't taking care of the ball. It isn't playing good, hard nosed defense. I mean, I think um, it's rebounding. I mean, that's that's probably the the closest thing this team has to an identity right now. Is yeah. they're an elite offensive rebounding team, especially third in the country. You know, the defensive rebounding has slipped a little bit uh, over the last few games. But that's you know that's the thing. This is a this is a good shooting team that takes good shots and they 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 crash the offensive glass. You know, but on and on some nights that's enough. But on other nights, like tonight, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> but know? but rebounding can't be your identity when you give up two huge second chance buckets on the other end at the in in crucial moments right. of the game tonight. So, well, doesn't it seem ironic that you hang so your hat on shooting so well? Keep looking. <laughs> yeah, the, and it's also ironic that you hang your hat on shooting well, but then you know offensive rebounding. Well, you're not going to get that many chances to offensive rebound when you're a really good shooting team. So you know if those yeah. are your two strengths, you may want to find a couple that complement each other better than those. I mean, look, th- this team is this is a good team. We can't lose sight of that. And it's easy to get overly frustrated. You know, the best thing about the, the greatest thing that all IU fans can think about tonight and remember is that you're never as bad as you look and as you feel when you lose. And you're never as good as you look and you feel when you win. So Indiana was never as good as it felt after the Kansas game and after the North Carolina game. And Indiana isn't as bad as we feel right now. And this team is going to bounce back and they may bounce back as soon as that game uh, Sunday or Saturday against Louisville, whenever it is, um, even though that feels... <laughs> Mighty far from uh, from realistic right now, but anyway, we should probably wrap up soon, Andy, so we can go and support the football Hoosiers. Watch that game, uh, and we do need to get to final thoughts in a second. Do you want to give us maybe a quick ninety second look ahead to Louisville, and then we'll spend more time on our radio show uh, this week previewing Louisville? Maybe give us the the quick Cliff Notes version of it. Yeah, they. I mean, they got a lot of size uh, across the front line, and that has resulted in having a, a really strong two point defense. Although they're really good at defending the three as well. Uh, right now, on Ken Palm, uh, number one in defensive efficiency. Uh, offensively, they have struggled. Uh, had a struggled with Virginia tonight, a team that has uh, consistently given them issues over the last couple of years. But um, defensively, you know, really long and athletic uh, along the front line. As I said, you know really good two-point defense uh, in part because they're third in, in block percentage in the country. Uh, have done a really good job taking away the three-point shot, although we know that uh, success there can be fleeting, apparently. But, um, 
you know, so I think defensively they're going to present uh, some challenges for IU. Again, if we talk about the strength of this team being rebounding, uh, they do a fairly good job of taking that away, although their defensive rebounding percentage isn't great. So uh, maybe there's something there. They certainly have the size to contest shots around the rim, which, as I mentioned earlier, IU struggled with. Uh, forcing turnovers uh, obviously should strike fear in the hearts of all IU fans. And and offensively, uh, they're kind of a mixed bag. I mean, they do have some decent size, but, uh, you know, consistent scoring options have been a little bit difficult for them to find. Um, Quentin Snyder, uh, their point guard, played played really well. Uh, against um, Kentucky when they beat them. And so, you know, if he can carry that momentum, I think that becomes big for them. Uh, they got some, you know, a lot of guys people expected to make a jump this year. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, Dengadel, uh, a couple of sophomores that I think people expected a lot of, and they've struggled at times, although Adele played really well in that Kentucky game too. So um, they've got a good good mix of, of length and athleticism that I think will uh, certainly give IU trouble uh, on the defensive end, and we'll kind of see... Uh, you know what happens from there, but he's going to have to find a way to take care of the ball, and and there's certainly a team that's going to attack you um, defensively. So, you know, IU can't allow these straight line drives to the basket as we saw uh, tonight, because then even the the worst of offensive teams, which I wouldn't rank Louisville as, as among the worst by any means, is going to be able to have some success if you're uh, if you're allowing dribble penetration that easily. The old, if you're just going to let him drive by you, uh, seemed appropriate on more than one occasion tonight. I, I would I would certainly imagine we will see. Uh, some zone from IU and trying to force Louisville to make uh, make threes to, to bust them out of that because three-point percentage-wise, they don't shoot it all that well from there. Uh, the challenge then obviously becomes blackout responsibilities and uh, and allowing offensive rebounds, which was an issue tonight. And again, on the bright side, Indiana teams under Tom Crean have played their best basketball, yes, in Assembly Hall, of course, but when they've been underdogs. And now Indiana has put itself firmly in the position of an underdog. So I keep waiting and hoping for that time when Indiana is going to seem really comfortable you know, kind of playing as a top dog. And it just that that's the next step for this program. And we're not there. It's not to say that we're ever going to get there and all, you know, as frustrated as we are with, you know, with Crean and with the team and all of that. I think some of the overreaction that we're seeing while expected and, and unfortunately somewhat typical is a bit much. I mean, you know, let's stick with this team. Uh, let's remember the lessons that we all learned last year as fans and, and that we've learned with this program. Unfortunately, a lot of times when things seem like they're going really well, you you know, you're just kind of waiting for the rug to get pulled out from under your feet. But at the same time, when things seem really bad, usually this team, you know, pulls a pretty good performance out and ends up playing pretty well. And so that's what we have to hope happens against Louisville. And then Indiana comes back and, and leverages the power of Assembly Hall uh, into a big win over Wisconsin uh, before we're all there for the Illinois game. Um, and that, you know, and by the way, since we've been talking bad news tonight, let's just get all the bad news out of the way right away. But Purdue is just blowing out Iowa and seems like a pretty big gulf has opened up between Purdue and Indiana right now because the Boilermakers are playing really well and Indiana needs to tighten up and get ready for that game. Um, you know, because I think what has happened tonight with both teams at home, you know, in games where they were favored to win pretty handily, Purdue took care of business. Indiana did not, obviously. Yeah, I mean, you, you make the same argument about Maryland yesterday. I mean, they blew the doors off of Illinois at home. An Illinois team that came in playing really well, certainly better than this Nebraska team and a Maryland team that had a lot of question marks given not their record, but just the you know the way they had won a lot of these close games and managed to win those, and, and they went out and took care of business. And even even Northwestern playing Penn State, a game I think was on the road, they came out and just destroyed them, took care of business. You know, it, it's not, you know, everybody celebrated the holidays. Everybody had time off school. Um, for some, you know, it can't be an excuse we dust off and use for IU and then watch other teams uh, not be affected by that at all, seemingly.
No, there, there are no excuses for Indiana's performance tonight. It was not good. All right, we'll come back with uh, last call here in just a second. One more quick reminder uh, that the best way, a great way uh, to support the Assembly Call is by ordering your official Assembly Call t-shirt from our friends at HoosierProud.com. Go to HoosierProud.com and check out their selection of unique stylish apparel that anyone with Indiana roots will love. And don't forget to use the promo code ASSEMBLY for 15% off. That works for our Assembly Call logo t-shirts. Uh, I forgot to wear mine tonight. We'll wear them on a future show so we can model them and you can see them. Uh, but go to HoosierProud.com and check them out. And that promo code works for anything that you buy there. Uh, so again, the URL is HoosierProud.com. All righty. Well, you are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms. We're breaking down Indiana's 87-83 loss to Nebraska tonight. Uh, I think we've, we've covered this from most angles. Uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of, of positives. I've kept trying to steer the show positive, and it's just kept veering of its own momentum into the negative, and that's probably where it should go uh, on a night like tonight where you know the, the, there was no magic in Simon Scott Assembly Hall tonight. Um, and, and yeah, sure, you know the students weren't there and the crowd's not great and all of that, but that should not have mattered. Uh, Indiana should have come out and played better than they did tonight, and the magic in Simon Scott Assembly Hall comes from the mindset that this team brings to the arena that they're going to protect home court. And Indiana didn't play tonight like they were going to protect home court come hell or high water. And so Nebraska came in and won. Uh, like they stole the game on a fluke. They just straight up played better and took the game from Indiana. It's probably the most disappointing uh, note of all. Uh, so with that, Andy, over to you for uh, for last call if you want to put a bow on this thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, this felt more like the uh, put a bow on it and then light it on fire, maybe. But um, (laughs) so, you know, to me, this felt if if we kind of compare this to other losses this season, this felt a lot more like IPFW than it did Butler. And I don't say that because of the competition level, um, but but more just because of, uh, you know, uh, of the way that they came out and started the game just didn't seem ready to play with the focus and the energy that that were needed. And I think that to me is what is the most disappointing that we talk about after, you know, they lose games and we come on and say, well, you know, losses is the end of the world. It's how they learn from it. It's how they bounce back. What lessons they take away. And, and tonight was an indication to me that they didn't take a lot away from what lost them the game against IPFW. You know, the same things you could argue that lost in that game, lost in the game tonight. They let a, in this case, an inferior offensive team uh, get whatever shot they wanted get confidence by not playing good defense and they wasted possessions by giving the ball away and just got outworked for for what felt like significant parts of the game. And I think, you know, it, it turns to me into the fool me, you know, fool me once, shame on you, <laughs> fool me twice, shame on me, whatever the order of those is. I'm not really sure. Thanks, um, George W. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. But if you fool me a third time and show up and play like this, I'm not going to be too pleased. Uh, don't fool me again. Yeah, yeah. So the, I mean, to me, it's, you know, I don't know how many of these we have to have year to year where um, it, it's college kids. I get that. Um, but at some point, these guys have been around to see those games. And I, I feel like there was another Nebraska game that was on the road that I, I you know, kind of went on the same rant, um, you know, during the year that, you know, the, the team was you know, one of the better teams since, you know, we've been doing the show was, you know, you know what it's like to lose these games and you know the effort that you put forth and you know what it looks like shouldn't know what it looks like to play well. And I think that is, to me, is the most frustrating thing about the familiarity of it and the, yeah, you've done this before. It didn't go well. You did this before a month ago. And and to allow the same thing to happen uh, w- was really disappointing. And so um, d- 
despite what was a a good game for the uh, membership of the Robert Johnson fan club, it was uh, it was certainly uh, disheartening the way they lost the game. And as you said, there leave there be no doubt, Nebraska played well enough to win this game, deserved to win this game based on how hard they played. Uh, you know, from from you know the opening tip to the final buzzer, and uh, and it, it it was a disappointing one. Like I said, the the familiarity of it is what. Uh, you know, really starts to bother me about the losses uh, more so than the losses themselves. So I haven't seen a football score, but I did just see Chronic Hoosier tweet out an animated gif of Alec Baldwin uh, pouring whiskey into a glass on a never-ending loop. So I'm guessing that game is not going any better than the football game went. It's, uh, I think it's 17-7. to 7. I've had it on down here. I oh. was going in for, uh, it was 10-7. to 7. They were going in for what would have been a go-ahead touchdown, fumbled inside the five-yard line, then Utah drove. 95 yards and scored and then I just had to punt again. So I think it's 17 to seven, uh, but I'm not, I'm not sure. So it's 17 unanswered for Utah. So yes, things are not going well with IU sports as we speak right now. No, I'm, I'm worried about chronic Hoosier tonight, a loss at home to Nebraska to kick off big 10. And I mean, there may not be any Jamison left in the entire state of Indiana. <laughs> to after. some extent, you might as well just double up, just get it all over with <laughs> oh, tomorrow, now. Yeah. tomorrow's a new day. Yes, that's right. And look, hopefully we have something to celebrate New Year's Eve because, you know, as bad as we feel right now, and look, a win over Louisville isn't going to erase the sting of this. This is a loss that is going to stick on Indiana's NCAA tournament resume because it's a home loss to a team that probably won't be joining the festivities in March. Uh, so that makes it bad. Quick question for you. Has Indiana essentially canceled out the goodwill of the Kansas and North Carolina wins by losing to Fort Wayne and losing to Nebraska. Are we basically kind of starting from scratch now? Uh, I think, I think we're getting close to that point. I, I you know, I mean, nothing is going to completely erase those. Um, the, what it, what it does do is I think it starts to put more emphasis on, on the other parts of the schedule that were so bad. It probably more so than erasing okay. those losses. Cause to me, I think those losses are able to overshadow the fact that you didn't play a lot of good teams. He said, well, look, we played really well against the, you know, the good teams that we did play. Well, now it starts to become, all right, well, you've played only five reasonably good opponents and you're now two and three in those games. Um, and those other games obviously don't do anything for you. And so I, I don't know that I would say it cancels those out, but uh, it, it's not helping for sure because Nebraska, I think was the only big 10 team coming into uh, out of the non-conference. that wasn't over 500. So uh, you know, having while they did play a more difficult schedule and they only had really the one bad loss to Gardner Webb, uh, it is not a team that is expected in any way to be in contention for a tournament bid. So, uh, certainly the worst loss from a, a tournament standpoint of any of the ones this season. Uh, one because I think Nebraska ends up probably ranked lower than IPFW in the uh, in the RPI, and two because it was at home. Yeah. All righty. Well, we will see how Indiana bounces back. I don't have a whole lot of. I, other I hope that wasn't another attempt to steer this into a positive conversation. <laughs> there, so, no. Every time see, we do it, that, we <laughs> it didn't feel like it. So I didn't feel bad about stomping all over it. But yeah. All right. I was just checking. Yeah. yeah no. No. We we just keep steering the show right off the rails by trying to find something positive on a night like tonight. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go look at my sleeping daughter and that'll make me feel better. Um, that, that's the one bonus now. Uh, after a loss like this, I have something that can immediately make me feel better and, and erase at least momentarily, the uh, the thoughts of this loss. Just a bad loss for Indiana. Uh, I'll go collect my thoughts. I'll have an email out in the morning, try and put some kind of perspective on this, not that there really is any. And then, look, let's all take the next couple of days, do a little bit of soul-searching as fans, just like Indiana will do as a team, because, you know, look, it's a tough loss, but the schedule goes on. There's going to be games. 
And there, we've seen a lot of teams take tough losses in December and January when you're like, what the hell happened there? And those teams turn it around and are playing great by the end of the season. And I still think this team has the parts and pieces to do that. Can they figure out the roles? Can they figure out the rotations? Can young guys step up? You know, can everybody take that next step up? Those are questions that have to be answered. And I think we've thought at times in the non-conference schedule that they were answered. You know, we've proven with some of these recent performances that they're not. So we we soldier on, we move on, and hopefully we get a better performance from these Hoosiers on Saturday against Louisville. Uh, we sure better, or that's going to be a long, long afternoon. And then we will all need, uh, uh, well, at least it'll be New Year's Eve that night, so we'll forget about it quickly. But let's hope that that doesn't come to that and that the Hoosiers play well uh, against Louisville on Saturday and get, get, get this shit back turned around. All right, thank you. This ended up being a marathon show. We appreciate you being here. Uh, it always helps us to feel a little bit better. I don't know that I really feel better right now, um, but it was nice to talk it out, at least relieve some frustration. We hope uh, the same is true for you. So thanks for joining us on this episode of the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show, and we will talk to you on Saturday after IU Louisville. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Rocket Pro Insight gives real estate agents full visibility into the loan status of each of their clients, making it easier than ever to help their clients strengthen their offers with a verified approval. Plus, agents can adjust a client's approval letter amount in real time. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate and get the freedom to check a client's progress from anywhere at any time. Call for terms and details. Equal housing lender. Licensed in 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Verified approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. IBM Cloud offers millions of different server configurations with 20 terabytes of bandwidth cost-free. Get the compute power you need and deploy on demand, but at prices set for smart cost management. Visit ibm.biz slash bare metal servers to customize your server today. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois.